You're listening to ReachMD, XM157, the channel for medical professionals. Why do we dip sushi into soy sauce? Why do some things just taste better? In 1903, the original French chef, Auguste Escoffier, taught us about the science of taste in the classic cookbook, Guide Culinaire. Welcome to the ReachMD Book Club. I'm Dr. Leslie Lunt, Director of Foothill Psychiatry in Boise, your host, and with me today is Jonah Lehrer, author of Proust Was a Neuroscientist. Jonah, a graduate of Columbia University and a Rhodes Scholar, worked in the lab of Nobel Prize-winning neuroscientist Eric Kandel early in his career. He now writes a highly regarded blog called The Frontal Cortex. Welcome to ReachMD, Jonah. Thank you so much for having me. Now, many of us may have not have heard of Auguste Escoffier. Tell us about him. Oh, he, he was a chef in the fanciest restaurant in Paris, the Hotel Ritz in the 19th century. And essentially, anytime you go to any fancy restaurant, especially a fancy French restaurant, you're really eating variations on, on the type of cuisine he invented, the, the culinary techniques he pioneered. So even if you haven't heard of him, you've eaten many of his dishes. You talk about umami in your book, and it's not a name that's widely known, but we all know what it is. What's the science behind umami? The science behind umami is rather surprising. I think for a long time, we had this notion of there being four tastes in the tongue. This goes all the way back to Aristotle. They were called the four canonical tastes, sweet, sour, salty, and bitter. And umami is the fifth taste. It's the taste of L-glutamate, a specific form of the amino acid, and this is the most prevalent amino acid throughout life, that is sensed on the tongue. So it literally is the fifth taste. And, and some neuroscientists believe that it's actually the most important taste, that it somehow modulates the other four taste sensations. So, you know, so all those textbooks which talk about the four tastes of the tongue, they're actually wrong. There are five tastes, and dumami or glutamate is the fifth taste. So what does it taste like? It's tough to describe. Umami means deliciousness in Japanese, and I think that's pretty much an apt description. You know, the easiest way to taste it is to take some MSG, and this is sold in the supermarket at super seasoning or something, and, and sprinkle a bit in your tongue, and your mouth will be filled with this kind of full, rounded flavor. And that is just the taste of umami, the taste of alglutamate. You know, another way to do it is to eat foods that are high in umami, and these include most of our favorite foods, from Parmesan cheese to chicken soup to, you know, prosciutto, to a well-seared steak or a pan sauce, a demi-gloss, veal stock, that was a Scofier's big invention. These are all foods that are high in umami. You know, the difference between a ripe tomato and a green tomato is that a ripe tomato has much more umami in it. You know, even if it's always tough to pick out these specific aspects of umami flavor, it's really the essential component of many of our favorite foods. Now, I'm a little confused. Is MSG the same thing as L-glutamate, which is the same thing as umami? MSG is kind of a crude approximation of glutamate. So you'll activate your mom receptors, but many people don't think it really captures the, the full flavor profile of glutamate, in part because it's bonded to a salt. So it's monosodium glutamate, which is glutamate plus a salt. And the salt can be overpowering. But you'll pick up part of the kind of rounded flavor that defines umami and glutamate. Now, MSG has a really bad rap for causing Chinese restaurant syndrome. Does it really deserve that? It's not quite clear. I think some scientists have looked at the issue and, and found that it doesn't actually cause migraines and headaches. That said, you know, glutamate is also a neurotransmitter in the brain. So I think you, you have some people who argue that, um, well, maybe crosses the blood-brain barrier. Who knows? I think the science is very much unclear. What is clear is that glutamate tastes good and that, and that our tongue evolved so that glutamate would taste good. We are sacks of protein and water ourselves. 
So we're always needing an amino acid refill, and glutamate is an amino acid. So that's why glutamate is, tastes so good to us. Now, you mentioned that seared steak is high in L-glutamate. Is the searing what causes this? So you wouldn't get the same sort of flavor with raw beef? Yeah. In order to taste L-glutamate, what you have to do is unravel the amino acid so that it's put in a form that the tongue can taste. So that's what happens when you sear a steak or make a chicken stock or beetle stock. You know, you cook those bones for so long and those bits of protein for so long, and you unravel the amino acids and put them in a form that the tongue can taste. As a tomato ripens, for example, the, the glutamate goes into the form that you can taste, the L-glutamate form. As you age a cheese, you're doing the same thing. So basically, anytime you, you know, let something decay or sear it or age something or ripen something, you're putting glutamate into the form that the tongue can taste, which is the delicious form. For example, that's why you take sushi, which are you know just raw fish, which because it hasn't been cooked, is low in this form of glutamate, and dip it in soy sauce, which being fermented is very high in glutamate, very high in umami. So you're literally taking something which is low in umami and dipping it in something which is full of umami. You're still getting that umami flavor the tongue craves. It's a little counterintuitive that we would find something that's kind of old or aged or rotting pleasant. Is there a biological reason for this? I'm not sure we, we evolved to taste aged Parmesan cheese. I have a feeling it has more to do with cooked meat. Cooked meats are, of course, safer. And, and so perhaps if you want to construct a just-so story about why, why we taste glutamate in this particular way. But that's the way our tongue was designed. It's also, I think, perhaps a little limited by the fact that, that these glutamate receptors on our tongue are simply splice variations of the glutamate receptors we have in our brain. So it's, it's not quite clear how much freedom natural selection had to, to design these receptors. If you've just tuned in, you're listening to ReachMD, XM157, the channel for medical professionals. I'm Dr. Leslie Lunt, your host, and with me today is the author of Proust Was a Neuroscientist, Jonah Lehrer. Now, back to Auguste Escoffier, what did we learn from him about the presentation of food? He insisted that, that food be presented very nicely. He, he did, I think, pioneer this fancy, not just style of cooking, this fancy culinary techniques, but also the, you know, you have to have the right napkins and, and fancy silverware and all sorts of different wine glasses. And he knew that, that how you presented food had a lot to do with how the food tasted. So in addition to his pioneering efforts in terms of getting as much umami on the plate as possible, and I talk in the book about how he really emphasized the importance of stock, especially veal stock and, and the process of deglazing and, and how those things got a lot of umami in the plate. He also insisted, number one, that food be presented in, in these posh surroundings, and two, that food be served hot and so that you could always smell it. He says many times in his cookbook, he says, this dish is great when it's served hot and it's not good when it's served cold because all those flavors, what we think of as taste, 90% of what we think of as taste is actually a smell. And I think Escoffier is one of the first chefs to really insist that, that food be served hot so that we could smell it. We take that for granted now, but in his day, that was really revolutionary, right? Yeah, I think especially at the higher end. Ironically, it was fancy food before Escoffier. People thought of this fancy food was these ornate buffets, these ornate cold buffets, and it was a style of cooking that really emphasized appearance, how food looked. Escoffier thought this pomp and circumstance was ridiculous. He the importance of food is to taste good. That was the variable he really emphasized, and that's why he, he insisted that food be served a la minute, fast, and cooked to order. Now, what's the science to back up Escoffier's ideas? Well, on the one hand, we now know that, that, that most of those flavors we think about as being about the tongue are actually about smell. So, you know, all those details in Escoffier's 
recipes from a bit of vanilla and a creme anglaise to some tarragon in a hollandaise, those flavors are actually smells, and we taste them in our nose. So I think that does support his emphasis on serving food hot. I think he also realized just how subjective our sense of food was, how subjective our sense of pleasure was. So you know, even though he clearly knew how the tongue worked, and that's why he emphasized umami, he also knew that, that delicious food was about more than just the food itself. And in the book, I talk about several experiments which, which have gone on to reveal the subjectivity of food and wine. For example, I, I talk about some experiments done by scientists at the University of Bordeaux with French wine experts, French wine critics. And, you know, for example, he's serves them the same white wine in two different bottles. One of the bottles is dyed red, so that people think they're drinking a red wine, and he asks these wine critics to describe these two wines, which are actually the same wine. And when they drink the red wine, of course, they describe it in the terms of red wine. So it's full of crushed black fruit and jammy, et cetera, et cetera. The white wine is full of the usual flavors of white wine, from you know citrus to banana. All the usual adjectives are brought out, of course, it's actually the same white wine, but because people thought they were drinking red wine, they described it in the terms of red wine. And he then did the similar experiment all this time. He served a cheap wine, but served an expensive bottle. And of course, the critics gave two very different verdicts on the same wine, depending on the kind of bottle it was served in. You know, these experiments, beyond, you might make us a little more skeptical of wine critics, then they also show us just how subjective our sense of taste is. And that's something Escoffier learned very early on and really emphasized in his restaurant. It's very mischievous research, but I think it does get to something important about how the mind senses in general and our sense of taste and smell in particular. You know, for example, this is, this is just one of many examples I talk about in the book. If, if you take the dominant smell of Parmesan cheese, which is butyric acid, and you put people in a lab, and this is done at Oxford, and tell them, you know, this smells kind of gross, what do you think it is? and you give them the smell of butyric acid, they'll say they're smelling vomit, because butyric acid is also the main ingredient in the smell of vomit. And then if you give them butyric acid and tell them this is something delicious you can find in a fancy store, they'll, oh, that's Parmesan cheese. So how the exact same sensory input can generate very different sensory experiences depending on what we're expecting to experience. Well, thanks so much for being on our show today, Jonah. Thank you so much for having me. We have been discussing the book, Proust Was a Neuroscientist, and especially the chapter on taste with its author, Jonah Lehrer. I'm Dr. Leslie Lunt. You've been listening to the ReachMD Book Club on ReachMD XM 157, the channel for medical professionals. We welcome your questions and comments. Please visit us at ReachMD.com. Our new on-demand and podcast features will allow you to access our entire program library. 